0: Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Redeemer Church. I'm Pastor Tim. It's so good to see you this morning. In the Psalms, we read the words, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And so this day, as we gather for worship, I invite you to rejoice, to be thankful, whether it's a good day or a bad day, because your attitude is a choice. And so we choose how we respond. And so we can choose to be grateful, we can choose to be thankful, we can choose how we're going to respond to the situation, regardless of what situation we're in. And as we move into a conversation this morning about contentedness and being discontent, um, I want to invite you to remember those words. This is the day that the Lord has made, that God has made today for us, and to choose to rejoice, and to choose to be glad in it. We are in week two of our new teaching series, The Power of Hope. And today we're going to be talking about living above discontentment. And we started this series last week by giving kind of a foundation of the chapter of Jeremiah 29. Now many of us all, another verse that we've all memorized is Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to make you prosper. But what we're doing is through these, these weeks is looking at the chapter behind that verse. We're not focusing so much on twenty nine eleven, but everything that leads up to that, and how God works and how God deals with God's people, and most specifically um, the people of Israel as they're sent into exile in Babylon, which is a very trying time for God's people. And so last week we looked at the history leading up to the exile, how the people in Jerusalem went. There were three different um, exoduses, if you will, where, where, where the Babylonians came and took people um, to Babylonia. What it was like for them there, what the Babylonians were like, and but most importantly, that that God used King Nebuchadnezzar, the evil king, and took them on purpose. That God took the people of Israel, His people, and put them in Babylon. Today we're going to talk about discontentment, and I think we all know what it feels like um, to be discontented in life. I know what it feels like to be discontented in life, and no, not because I'm a millennial Gen Xer. I know what it feels like to be discontented in life because I'm human, just like we all are, I assume. We've all experienced some moments of discontentedness, and we're going to talk about that. And actually, we're going to be only focusing on a few verses this morning as we look through verses 4 through 6. And we're going to start this morning by looking at the root of discontentedness. Ever since the beginning of creation, and the first creatures came from the hand of God, there's always been someone, somewhere, who's been unhappy with their position in the universe. Always. And it all started with an angel that was named Lucifer. And Lucifer was the brightest star of the heavenly realms. Uh, And Lucifer was not satisfied with being at the top of God's creation. Not the very top, though. Hence, the discontentedness. He wanted something more than his assigned position as the greatest of all created beings. And his seething discontentment caused him to lead a rebellion against God. One-third of all the angels joined him in his quest to overthrow the throne of God, but they failed. And, and for his rebellion, he and his followers were kicked out of heaven. And this is, this is the, the, the fall of, of Lucifer. And ever since that dark day where he was kicked out of heaven with all of his followers, he has been known as Satan or the devil and has been the relentless foe of God and all of his works. And what we need to understand this morning is that it was discontentment, discontentment that made him do it. Discontentment was that driving force. Discontentment has been one of his best weapons ever since. Satan's earliest triumph in the Garden of Evil was when he sowed seeds of discontentment in Eve, as Eve had an unsuspecting heart. By misquoting God, he made Eve think that God was somehow trying to cheat her, to keep her down, to keep her from being like God. If you remember the, the Genesis story. So Eve took the fruit and she ate it and gave it to Adam and he ate it. And then from that moment on, sin enters the world and, and enters the human bloodstream. And the seeds of discontentment brought about the bitter harvest of, of disobedience, which led to the loss of paradise and, and the entrance of evil into our world. And ever since then, um, we've, had, we've been unhappy We've been an unhappy bunch of people, actually. Ever after Eden, we've never really been fully satisfied with anything on this earth. I say we corporately as in humankind, and that includes all of us. Um, In addition, you know, we're still not happy, honestly. Thousands and thousands of years later, we we want we always want something different. We always want something more, you know. If we're young, we want to be old. If we're old, we wish we were younger. If it's old we wish it, we want it to be newer, if it's new we want something even newer. If we have $100 we want 200, if we have 200 we want 500. If we have an apartment we want a condo, if we have a condo we want a house, if we have a house we want a bigger house or a newer house or a nicer house. If we have a job we want a dream job or a better job or a promotion or a, a shorter commute or a bigger office or a better boss or better benefits or a bigger opportunity or nicer people to work with or a more vacation time. If we're single we dream about being married. If we're married, then we want. Well, you can fill in that one. <laughs> None of this is unusual in any way. It really isn't. We were born discontented, and some of us stay that way forever. Yeah, a certain amount of discontentment is actually kind of a good thing, and it's good for the soul. You know, it's not wrong to have dreams about what the future can hold. It's not bad to have dreams and to be discontented about some things. The hope for something drives us and keeps us working and inventing and striving and creating and innovating, but there is a kind of discontentment that leads us in the wrong direction. Let me suggest today to you Five signs that discontentment is dragging us down spiritually. Okay, five signs. And the first sign is envy. Envy. And that's the inability to rejoice at the success of others. So if you're not able to rejoice when someone else is successful, that's a bad sign. Second is the uncontrolled ambition. Uncontrolled ambition. Okay, That is the desire to win at all costs, no matter what it takes or who gets... Injured in the process. Went to a soccer game for my kid yesterday. This is a problem for some folks. Third, a critical spirit. A critical spirit. The tendency to make negative, hurtful, and cutting remarks about others. Fourth, a complaining spirit. A complaining spirit. The disposition to make excuses and to blame others or unfortunate circumstances for our problems, a refusal to take personal responsibility or the inability to be thankful for what we already have. Fifth, outbursts of anger. Outbursts of anger. Angry words spoken because our expectations are not met. A discontented person looks around and says, I deserve something better than this. I deserve something better than this. Because they're never happy and they're never satisfied. They drag others into the swamp with them, dragging them in. It's no wonder that Benjamin Franklin said, contentment makes a poor man rich, and discontentment makes a rich man poor. I love that quote. And it's so true. Discontentment is a cancer on the human soul it really is it eats away our joy it, it erodes our happiness it destroys our outlook on life and produces this terminal jaundice of the soul so that everything looks negative to us and we can't be happy because we're, we won't let ourselves be happy we can't be satisfied because we will not be satisfied a discontented person is truly a lost soul Miserable today and miserable tomorrow. So, how do we become, how do we overcome this debilitating discontentment? I believe, as as always, as I believe, the answer lies with good theology. Like we said last week, good theology can bring about really good answers. Sin always stems from wrong thinking about God. Sin always stems from wrong thinking about God, about ourselves, about life in general. And Jeremiah twenty-nine contains some amazing, amazingly helpful insights about discontentment. Even though the, the, the scriptures say don't say the word discontentment or contentment at all, but it, but it explains it so well. So here are some essential. Re- realities to remember from Jeremiah 29. First, and if you're taking notes, this is, this is in your note sheet. First, we are where we are in life because God wants us there. This is a theological statement that is very important to remember. We are where we are in life because God wants us there. I want you to remember the background of Jeremiah 29. It's a letter from the prophet Jeremiah in Jerusalem, to the Jews that are in exile far away in Babylon. They felt abandoned, rejected, unloved, discouraged, and forgotten. Those are not happy terms, right? Those are bad terms. How could they ever sing the songs of Zion while living in a pagan land? Land. That song sticks with me forever because I was in God's spell. Sing us one of the songs of Zion, but how can I sing, sing the Lord's song? You know, eh, don't write. That's a good song. But that's the, that's the mentality. They're in Babylon. How could they ever find hope knowing that it was, that was their own foolish choices that put them in Babylon? It was their own fault. How could they find the courage to go on when God said to them, you're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. Seventy years. To all those concerns, God answers in verse 4, I exiled you to Babylon. And here's the most explicit statements of God's sovereignty in the Bible the most explicit statements of God's sovereignty in the Bible, although the hated Babylons had captured them, behind the pagan army stands the Lord himself. I did it, says God. Don't blame the Babylonians. They were merely my instruments doing my will. You sinned and brought about this judgment on yourself, but I am the one who carried you to Babylon. Now, to say it that way doesn't cancel human choices and the genuine consequences of our sin. It merely points out that things are not always as they seem on the surface. The exiles had vivid memories of the shock and the pain and the shame of, of being wrenched from their homeland and being carried away to Babylon. And God says, there's more going on here than we know. I warned you that this would happen. You ignored me, and now what I said has come to pass. It's come, ha- it's come true. If you want to blame anyone, blame yourself. Don't blame the Babylonians. They were acting on my command, though they didn't even recognize it. Solomon said in a, very succinctly in Proverbs sixteen nine. we can make our plans but everyone say, say this next part with me. Everyone say it out loud. One, two, three, go. But the Lord determines our steps. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. The Jews never planned to end up in Babylon. In fact, that would be the last place on earth they would ever want to be. But the Lord determined that they would be, that would be their destination for 70 years. Is this any consolation? Probably not. It all depends on what you believe about God, though, doesn't it? If we don't believe that God involves himself in the affairs of life, then it won't matter because we won't see God's hand at work in our life, even in the darkest moments. But if we believe that God is a God of the details, then it makes all the difference in the world to know that he takes personal responsibility for allowing certain things to happen that we regard as catastrophes. Christian author and speaker Tony Evans says that everything in the universe is either caused by or allowed by God. Everything in the universe is either caused by or allowed by God. And there's no third category. That's immense to think about because many of us want to create a third category we want to say something like terrible things happen because there's no reason at all for them to happen we want that third category bad things happen just because there's no reason just bad things happen but is there such a category You are where you are in life right now because God wants you there. You may be happy about your current circumstances or you may be miserable. Most likely, you're somewhere in between. It doesn't matter. You are where you are at this moment because God wants you there. How do I know that? Because if God wanted you somewhere else, you would be somewhere else. And when he does want you somewhere else, that's where you'll be. If God is God, that will be true. When God says, I carried you to Babylon, he wants his children to know that even though they have significantly, majorly, big time blown it, sinned against him, he has not forgotten them. He's not forgotten them. He carried them to Babylon, partly as judgment and partly as a sign of mercy. They certainly understood the judgment part, right? We get that, being disciplined. That's We get that. They would understand the mercy part later. Sometimes the most we can say in our lives is, I know I'm here because God wants me here. I don't know why, but I know I'm here I'm not here by chance. If you're taking notes, you should write that down. I know I'm here because God wants me here. I don't know why, but I know I'm I'm not here by chance. It's a significant, it is a significant advance in the life of faith to be able to say that much. Even if we can't say anything else. To be able to say that that I know where I am because God wants me here. I don't know why, but I know I'm not here by chance. If you can't say anything else, but you can say that, you're making huge leaps in your faith. Second, we are called to make the most of our present circumstances. We're called to make the most of our present circumstances. Verses 5 and 6 give us God's specific directions to the exiles in Babylon. Babylon. It definitely was not what they expected to hear. This is what it says. Build homes. Plan to stay. Plant gardens. And eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them, so that they may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. They, what they really wanted God to say was something like this. My children, I know you don't like living in Babylon, so I have some excellent news for you. Sit tight, stay out of trouble, do your time, and before you know it, you'll be back home again. But that's not what God said. His advice is is very much different. He says, you're going to be here for a long time, folks. Seventy years to be exact. Since you won't be coming home anytime soon, you might as well make the best of your situation. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, let your children get married and have children, increase in number, don't decrease. God's command is simple. Bloom where you're planted. Not simply a cliche, but truly bloom where you're planted. You may not like where you are, but that doesn't matter. As I have planted you in Babylon, transplanted may be a better better analogy, but go ahead and put down roots, buy some land, build a nice house, plant a good garden, go into business, build a community for yourself. You see, in in every hard situation, we have to face the same question. We have to face that same question in our lives. Are we going to complain or are we going to get busy and get to work? Because God says, you are in Babylon now. Make the best of it. Don't complain about it. Don't brood about it. Don't mope around. Don't spend your days sulking for Jerusalem. You aren't going back there for 70 years. I put you in Babylon for a reason. Don't waste a single moment looking back on what used to be. Use your energies to make your life better now. And that is excellent advice for us to heed in our lives. And I've thought about this for, I've thought a lot about the way God leads His people. I really have. And one thing is, is for sure, for certain, the will of God, I want you to hear this, the will of God is not a destination. The will of God is not a destination. It's what? A journey. It's a, it's a journey. The will of God is a journey, not a destination. And I've, I, I truly believe that. I, But I'm more convinced of that now in my life than I ever have been. Let me explain why. As a teenager, I told God my plans to be a career military man. To which he laughed and said, Why don't you go home to Michigan and go to work? In my 20s, I told God my plans to be a middle school science teacher. To which he laughed and said, Why don't you move your family to southwest Kansas to teach? When I, told my God, uh, when I told God my plans to start grad school, God laughed again and said, why don't you head to seminary and go pastor a church? As difficult as it is, I have learned that to live in the will of God means to live in the moment and that I should not make too many long-range plans. I would never have guessed some of the places God would send my family or me over the years. And it has not been easy. It's not been easy. But we have never been abandoned. Never been abandoned in any of it. Nor have we ever felt alone by, by God along the way. It's easy and dangerous to play the if only game. If only I get married, I'll be happy. If only I get a new job, I'll be happy. If only I graduate from college, I'll be happy. If only we have children, I'll be happy. If only we can retire to Florida, we'll be happy. If only I could make more money, I'll be happy. If only I win this case, I'll be satisfied or happy. If only we could move to a new home, i will be happy. If only I could climb this one last mountain in my life, I'll be happy. But, But life generally doesn't work that way. Some years ago, Mel Gibson was on one of the late-night TV shows talking about his rehab stint from his uh, addiction to alcohol, and he made a, a profound observation about the importance of living one day at a time. And he said, you can't live in the future. That's a bad place to live. Somewhere I read about a prison where they give the new inmates a crucial piece of advice when they enter. They said, keep your head where your seat's at. However, I think they worded it a little different. If you spend your days thinking about the past or what might have been, we'll lose focus on where we are. And we're liable to do something stupid that will get us even into more trouble. We have to live in the present and not the past or the future. Third thing, if you're taking notes, we must come to grips with reality. We must come to grips with reality. This point follows from the last one. If we're going to settle down in Babylon and make the best of our bad situation, we must come to grips with reality. This may be the hardest thing for us to do because sometimes the best thing that can happen is to get a like, cold splash in the face of reality. We owe it to ourselves and the others, people in our lives not to live in a fantasy land. Our children will be blessed if they see us making the best of our situation. God told the exiles to settle down to build something for themselves in Babylon. And he told them to have children and then grandchildren to increase and not to decrease. Our sons and daughters will also be blessed when they see us making the best of our situation. Some of us get messed up right at this point. We feel bad about our past, and therefore we never move forward. The key to a better future is to stop trying to have a better past. I want to say that again. The key to a better future is to stop trying to have a better past. You can't do that. It's impossible. Here's a profound theological truth about our past. It is what it is. You can't change it. You can't delete it. You can't improve it. But you can accept it and move forward from it. Years ago, I heard someone speak about three simple statements that I call the first law of spiritual progress. I invite you to write this down You can't go back. You can't stay here. I must go forward. I can't go back, I can't stay here, I must go forward. God will bless us when we embrace reality with courage, when we accept the past for what it is and move forward with, with energetic faith in God. So, what's the bottom line of this message? Four things. We are where we are in life because of the sovereign choice of God. We can serve the Lord where we are right now. We can glorify the Lord where we are right now. And if we complain, we are attacking God and not serving Him. So I guess the question comes down to this. Do we believe in God or don't we? I know that's kind of bold to ask. Do we believe in God or not? Do we believe God will give us what we need right now so that we can serve Him right where we are? There's a sense in which... When we complain and dwell in discontentment, at that point we no longer believe in God. And that is, on one level, we, we certainly do believe in God, but that our discontentment, discontent complaining, we, we deny the truth that we claim to believe. If we can't do every, everything we want, we would like to do, if we can't do everything we'd like to do, we can joyfully accept our situation as being from the hand of God. We can always pray. We can always praise. We can always sing to the Lord. We can always refresh ourselves in the streams of blessing that flow from the heart of God. So, how should we apply this truth from the story of God's people in captivity into our lives? How can we cope with the circumstances of our life when things don't turn out the way that we had hoped for and they don't look like they're going to change anytime soon? Here are the seven things, and I believe they're in your worship folder as well, so you can take them with you. Bloom where you're planted. Serve the Lord right where you are. Stop moping around. Don't live in the past, and don't live in the future. Live right now. Let God redefine your life, not your earthly circumstances. Don't expect change to make us happy. Never forget, we won't be where we are forever. And that brings us to a fundamental spiritual truth. The only thing that ultimately matters, the only thing, the only thing that ultimately matters is knowing Jesus and through Him growing closer to God day by day. That's all that really matters. Nothing else. If we know God in Christ, then we are... Of all people, most blessed and highly favored. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Ephesians 1.3, We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. And if we know Christ, then the rest of life, or if we don't know Christ, the rest of life won't satisfy our deepest longings anyways. If we, yeah, if we don't know Christ. It's not going to be satisfied anyways. Christ must be the center of our life or the rest of our circumstances. They're never going to satisfy us. Circumstances, even happy ones, can never replace our soul's longing for the Lord. Seen in that light, discontentment is a serious sin because it is an attempt to overthrow God. It is an attack on the sovereignty of God who sits at the throne in the center of the universe. And, and when we com- complain against the Lord, we are repeating a mistake, sin made by Satan himself. It's the first great rebellion played out in our own hearts, and we will not be any more successful than Lucifer was. And I would like you to consider the following two sentences carefully. If I am in Jerusalem, I will serve him in Jerusalem. If I am in Babylon, I will serve him in Babylon. This is true no matter where we are in life. We can be anywhere on God's green earth and still serve the Lord. It's not about geography. It's about our heart. It's not about geography. It's about our heart. If God has put you in Babylon at the moment, serve him there. Build a house, plant a garden, start a business, have some children, have some grandchildren, settle down and enjoy life. You can serve God in Babylon just as well as you can in Jerusalem. It's a hard lesson, but it's also good news if we receive it from God. Let's pray. Holy God, help us to serve you no matter where we are, no matter where we find ourselves this day. Give us each the courage to move out of your of our past and not live in our future, but to strive to live for you this day, in this moment, and in each moment of our lives. For it is not only about where we are in this world, Lord, but where we are with you in our heart. So let us draw closer to you as we give our hearts to you through your Son, Jesus the Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. And everyone said, Amen.